This morning, or this evening, for our reading of Holy Scripture, we turn to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10. And the entire chapter constitutes the text for the sermon. Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hiddekel, Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision. But a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days? For yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. 
And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. We read that far <coughs> in God's holy word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are three especially remarkable and fascinating features about the events that are recorded in this 10th chapter of Daniel. In the first place, we are given a fascinating insight into the otherwise invisible spiritual realm of the angels, and especially with regard to the ongoing warfare that occurs in that spiritual realm. We have confirmed here the truth that there is a real realm of spirits with great power that engage in continual warfare and although they are invisible to us and therefore their work and what is going on is beyond our perception and often uh, out of our consciousness, this warfare is real, not only, but it actually affects events in our own earthly time and history. That what goes on in this spiritual realm affects the earthly physical realm, affects the establishing of and the overthrow of and the policies of earthly kings and kingdoms like Persia and Greece. This is one reason the scriptures remind us about engaging in such spiritual activities as putting on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, Ephesians 6, verses 11 and following. That is given with this understanding, for we also wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a war going on, where a war of spiritual kingdoms and a war that affects us and the people of God. Secondly, the second fascinating feature of this particular chapter is that we are prevented from knowing the vision that occasioned the main event of this chapter. We're told the occasion is a vision that Daniel was given during the third year of Cyrus. And so troubling was that vision that for three weeks, day after day, he prayed to God while fasting and not showering or bathing. And yet we're never told what the vision was or its meaning. It can't be one of the visions that we have already read about either because they occurred years earlier. Even the vision that follows occurs at least many years before the one in the chapter. We might ask why that is, and the Lord, I'm sure, has many reasons, but one of them for certain is this. 
so that we focus upon the third and most important element of this chapter, which is the fact that Daniel is visited here personally by the Son of God. That is the most important aspect so that all the others are subject to it. Consider with me, Daniel visited by the Son of God. And we notice in the first place the frightening revelation, secondly the loving purpose, and lastly the abiding significance. The fact that Daniel here is visited by the Son of God is a significant event and very important to the book of Daniel and the instruction that is found in this book. It is an important part of the revelation of God himself to his people. And yet, sadly, this particular chapter is often overlooked or even misunderstood. Far more well known to us are the visions and events that are found earlier. For example, the event where Daniel is cast into the den of lions or his three friends being cast into the fiery furnace. Hopefully, after this evening, we will not forget this 10th chapter and this amazing, amazing visitation of the Son of God himself to Daniel. The occasion and reason for this visit from the Son of God is a frightening vision that Daniel was given concerning things to come. We're told in the first verse that in the third year of Cyrus, Cyrus, you will recall, is the man who will decree very soon that Israel can return back home to Jerusalem. That in this third year of Cyrus, which also is at least a year after the last vision, God revealed something to Daniel, a thing we read. We're told furthermore that this thing was a vision and that Daniel was given understanding. That is, he was given to know its meaning, its interpretation, but we're not at all told the content of that vision, only that it was prophetic, that it concerned things that, quote, shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is not yet for many days, verse 14. That's the idea, too, when we read that the time appointed was long. It would be some time before this vision, whatever it was, would be fulfilled. The vision itself frightened Daniel. That's evident from his response. That even though Daniel is a man of faith, even though Daniel was given understanding in the meaning of the vision, nevertheless, there was something very, very troubling about it to him. Notice in the first place that he immediately begins to pray to God. We read he began to pray the first day to set his heart to understand. Verse 12. And then we're told that not only did he pray once, but he prayed to God for a full three weeks. Literally, three weeks of days. That is, he prayed all day long for three full weeks. Consider also, with regard to the fear this vision called, that Daniel characterizes his prayer as mourning, as mourning. He mourned for that period. The idea isn't simply that he was praying to God and asking God for things, but his prayer was an expression of deep sorrow and grief. 
And the reason should be obvious, because the vision he was given to see was so terrible, and it concerned the people of God. It concerned Israel once again. The troubling nature of that vision also explains not only why he prayed and prayed for three weeks and why his prayer was essentially an expression of sorrow and grief, but why we read in verse 12, he chastened himself before God. Daniel tells us what that chastening consisted of. That during the entire time he prayed, he ate no pleasant bread, no meat, or drank any wine. He didn't shower. He didn't bathe. This is not the first time Daniel behaves this way when he prays. We learned in Daniel 9 that he prayed there. He made supplications with fasting and sackcloth in ashes. Makes evident also then the nature of his mourning and that which troubled him. It was not simply that the Lord had revealed to him something terrible that concerned the nation of Israel, but that his concern was over sin. The man was not praying in concern for himself, but for the nation of Israel, the people of God. And he was not praying and sorrowing with regard to their present state, but the future. And not praying with mourning and supplication with regard to their physical condition, but with regard to their spiritual condition over sin. In fact, it's very likely that the prayers that Daniel was raising were very much like the prayer we have in chapter 9, a prayer of intercession and sorrow and confession of sin. We can learn much here about prayer and prayer as a response to troubling situations. We learned this morning that prayer is always a response to God's speech to us. It is a response, therefore, often to troubling situations that God brings to our attention. And we can examine our own prayers in this light. Daniel is never presented as some rare child of God who the children of God cannot relate to, but is an example for us of how we are to respond and behave as the children of God in the Babylon of this life. We learn here about what ought to most trouble us with regard to this present life. This is a good test of how spiritually minded we are compared to what often troubles us. Are we troubled about God's visions of the times, of the threats to the church? Is our concern for the church or is our concern only with regard to ourselves and our present physical condition? We learn here about how we ought to respond to the revelation of God with regard to our spiritual condition and the future and the church. We learn here that it requires self-denying. It requires a denial of what the self wants and what the self seeks. That is why Daniel mourned not simply in his heart, but denied himself certain food and even bathing. Do we ever approach prayer, beloved, with that kind of zeal or commitment? Do we say, the thing about which I must pray and do pray is so important 
and such a matter of my heart that I care little at all about my own physical condition. I set aside my need for food and drink and companionship and I devote myself now entirely to spiritual communication with my God. <clears throat> it is in response to his prayer that the Lord visits Daniel himself. In response to his prayer, the very Son of God personally visits Daniel. That this is the Son of God who appears to Daniel is evident from the description of him in verse 6. In other words, that which appears to him is not merely an angel who has taken on the appearance of a man. We read, his body was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. Not only that, but he is clothed in linen, and his loins are girded about with a belt made of pure gold. Not going to this evening get into all the elements of this description, but it should be obvious even to the children that there is a description here that consists of brilliance, brilliant light and the reflection of light so dazzling that one can hardly stand it. There is a description here of one also who judges with his eyes. His eyes are like flames of fire. And that this is the Lord Jesus Christ being described is evident when you compare it to other visions of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's ascended and glorified in the book of Revelation and in particular Revelation 1. An almost perfect, exact description of the Lord glorified Lord Jesus. In other words, what we have here is a revelation of the Son of God before he is incarnated through the conception and birth of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. There is here, of course, mystery in this revelation. How can the Son of God take human form before he has officially taken human nature unto himself? And we're not provided answers to those questions any more than we are able to understand how it is that the angels, who are also spirit beings, can likewise take human form in their many appearances. Nevertheless, that's what we have here. We have a description of Jesus, the Son of God, in all his heavenly glory. The description here is of his righteousness and holiness, his majesty and power as King and Lord of the whole creation. And then furthermore, consider his voice. We read with regard to the angels, of course, that they also take the similitude of men. Read of that, for example, in verse 16. And we read in chapter 8, verse 5, that Gabriel, the angel, spoke with a man's voice. But this one who visits Daniel, we read, speaks with the voice of a multitude. And you say, what is that? This is the voice of Christ. This is the voice of the Son of God. The voice that speaks of the honor and glory of God that is owed by the whole entire creation. He speaks, as it were, for the multitude of beasts and men and angels in glory to God Almighty. And you can read of that also in Revelation 19, 
verses 6 and 7. This appearance of the Son of God frightens the companions of Daniel so badly we read that they run and hide even though they don't actually see this visage of the Lord. Verse 7. This, I believe, is an example of what the Bible describes as general revelation. An example of how God reveals himself to all men, though not in his grace. Though fallen man is blind to the whole truth of God, and especially the truth of his salvation in Jesus Christ, all men are able to see him in his works and ways, even his power and Godhead, and turn from it frightened by it. Safe to say that based on the reaction of these men and how it's described, these are unbelieving business associates of Daniel. And they are terrified because they know, as all men do, that they are the exposed to the wrath of this great God because of their sin. Really, we have here a foreshadowing of the reaction of all the ungodly as is described in Revelation 6. Whereat the presence of the ascended Jesus and his return in his second coming, we read that the kings of earth and the great men and the rich men hide themselves in the dens and rocks of the mountains and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The effect upon Daniel, however, is different. Although he is frightened, he does not hide or run away. He is, however, in his fear, loses all his strength. Amazing how we read that. He loses all his strength twice in verse 8 and another two times in verses 16 and 17. And the passage highlights two ways in which he loses his strength. First of all, verse 9, we read that he loses his ability to stand. He cannot stand before the Lord. He faints unconscious, verse 9. And then, when he is near the end, gradually lifted up, we read that his legs still tremble. And then secondly, he loses strength with regard to his ability to speak. Verse 15, he even asks how the Lord expects him to talk when, in his words, all breath is taken from me. Verse 17, Daniel, by inspiration, of course, provides the reason why he loses his strength, why he is that frightened. My comeliness, he reads, comeliness is beauty or loveliness. That is, that which makes me beautiful and lovely is turned to me, in me, to corruption, that is, that which is evil and vile. The meaning should be clear to us. Daniel recognizes here that in the presence of the Lord's holiness and in the presence of the Lord's righteousness and glory, all that man considers beautiful and all that makes man lovely is turned to nothing. The Lord's presence, the Lord's glory and righteousness always reveals how sinful and wicked we really are, even as children of God. That's what Daniel learns. And here, too, there's a lesson for us. Indeed, we stand. We are, after all, children of faith, just as Daniel was.
But when a man like Daniel, whom I think we would all agree, towers over us in sanctified life and in his faith, indeed he is over us in that regard, is nevertheless losing all his strength before the Lord, how much more ourselves. So what's being described here really is the twofold effect of the Lord's revelation to all men on earth. Refer now not simply to the revelation of God's being to all men in providence, but even now through our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is that men of the world are aware of his real presence and existence as God's Christ. The Bible reveals that men do not simply despise God, but his representative, his Christ, and even fear him. Largely what explains the desire of the wicked and ungodly nations of the world to eliminate the testimony and the presence of the church in this world. It is their hatred of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel and the word that the church preaches. This is undoubtedly part of the vision that Daniel had seen, even as Daniel himself had already experienced in Babylon. The world is not our friend. The world is our enemy. And the world is our enemy, not because of what we are, but what we are in Christ, because it fears Christ, despises Christ, and despises and fears Christ because of his very righteousness and holiness, as is exemplified by the men who ran away. And this Lord, in a very real sense, is frightening even with regard to the regenerated, sanctified child of God. And we should experience that. We talked about that with regard to prayer, that a heard prayer and prayer to God requires humility. And we stand before the God revealed in Scripture we experience that when we reproach God every Sabbath day, or we should. When we have his revelation to us in the sacraments, especially in the Lord's Supper, and then there are all the trying times of our life. In all this, we're always confronted with God, even as he's mediated and revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come in our flesh. But he always comes and is revealed in his glory. And then especially as we face the reality of death and the grave. And all these things we ought to be reminded that what we might consider beautiful and loveliness, our comeliness, is all turned to vileness and evil before his face. But there is a loving purpose of the Son of God in visiting Daniel here. Now we might not at first think so, not only because of the reaction of Daniel, but what else the Lord reveals to him. As I said in the introduction, another striking feature of this chapter is that not only does the Lord reveal himself personally to Daniel, but he explains why there is a delay in his coming, that he has delayed even 21 days, and there's something frightening about that also. You see, we must connect the three weeks of days that Daniel prayed and fasting with the 21 days of verse 13 that the Lord says he was withstood by the prince of Persia. The connection is this, that the Lord is explaining to Daniel why he didn't answer him right away. That is, specifically answer him 
by appearing to him personally right away. He is explaining why it was necessary for Daniel to pray again and again and again each day for 21 days and fast during all that time. Why was it? And the reason the Lord gives is as frightening as it is fascinating. He says that from the first day that Daniel began to pray, his words were heard by God. Notice that. God heard the very first words he uttered and responded. That he was even sent in response. Verse 12. But he was prevented from appearing personally to Daniel because we read the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him for 21 days. Now, the prince of the kingdom of Persia does not refer to King Cyrus himself, but is a reference to an evil angel. That's evident from the description of Michael also as a prince, indeed one of the chief princes, verse 13. This prince here is obviously not a good angel like Michael, for he withstands Christ, and he battles against the chief of the princes, Michael. This prince of the kingdom of Persia, or evil angel, <clears throat> has a purpose. When we read that he withstands Christ, we must understand that Christ is presenting his intention and purpose over against Christ. His purpose is to defeat the purpose of Christ, to defeat the work of Christ. That's why he said to withstand him, verse 13, and why what he's doing is called fighting in verse 20. How does he do that? He does that by tempting the rulers of Persia or the ruler of Persia himself, King Cyrus, to do things that would harm the people of God, that would cause men to sin, not only in general, but specifically to take decisions and make laws that harm the work of Christ, the work of Christ saving and delivering his church from sin and death. Perhaps even in this case, there was a great, great angel sent to tempt Cyrus into not letting the people of go. In fact, it's possible that this prince of the kingdom of Persia may be Satan himself. We do not know that definitively, but Satan also is described as a prince. Indeed, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, 2. the prince of this world, John 12.31, and the prince of the devils, Mark 3.22. Satan knows that as a world power, the king of Persia holds the church captive. And this is the church that Christ has promised to bring back to Jerusalem. And that the decisions and power of the king of Persia have a great influence on the nation of Israel. Be that as it may, this is a frightening revelation. We learn, we get insight here. And there are a number of places where this is given to us of the continual warfare that is going on in the spiritual realm and we see, without a shadow of a doubt, that that spiritual warfare has a direct effect upon this physical world. You teach that today, and you preach that today, and you say that today, you will be laughed and mocked to scorn. Man imagines that he makes his own decisions by his own free will and does whatever he wants. He has absolute freedom to decide, doesn't even see that his will is bound. He's in the bondage of sin and iniquity and thus is bound to such spirits, such spiritual princes, and they do his bidding, whether they are conscious of it or not. And all of it is done 
through deception and temptation, themes that we have seen in this book. The devil knows. We ought to know that decisions and behavior of earthly rulers isn't simply influenced by physical consideration, but spiritual powers. That's why so often the scriptures remind us there is spirits loose, real spirits that have a real impact and effect upon world history and time. That power of such angelic princes is such that it can cause a delay of three weeks in the Son of God appearing to one of his distressed saints. Take note of that. These are not laughing matters. These are not matters to lightly dismiss and put away. The Son of God himself explains to Daniel the serious matter that he had to attend to for three weeks prior to visiting Daniel. Having said that, it's evident that this appearance of the Son of God to Daniel, as well as this revelation, this otherwise frightening revelation, is intended to strengthen him and to comfort Daniel in the very love of God for Daniel himself. It's evident in the first place by the address of the Son of God, of Daniel by name, and then by calling him a man greatly beloved, verse 11. What a comfort is it for us as children of God to know that the Lord knows us by name and addresses us by name and calls us by name. We read he knows all of our names even as he knows the names of all the billions of stars. <clears throat> and he calls him greatly beloved. The Lord wants us to know that about ourselves. Greatly beloved. And that's how he was addressed also earlier by the angel Gabriel. God is one who greatly loves his children, who loves Daniel, who loves us, who loves his church. And it's that love of God that explains why as soon as he heard the prayer of Daniel, he reacted and he went forth. And why he explains why he couldn't come right away. He comes to show Daniel that he ought not be terrified there are many who ought to be terrified, who ought to run away and ought to hide, but not the beloved of God, not Daniel. Then notice the love of the Son of God for Daniel by his reassuring words and touch. The idea is that the Lord actually confers strength to Daniel. He has lost strength. He cannot speak. He cannot stand. And the Lord touches him and speaks to him, which strengthens him. The Lord is not simply one who speaks, but like love and like one who loves another, he reaches out and touches him. There is a certain intimacy here. He picks up Daniel from the ground where he's lying with his face in the dust and sets him on his hands and his knees. Verse 10, the actions of one who loves another, not just in word, but in deed. And yes, the Lord himself personally speaks. Notice the emphasis. Understand, Daniel, the words that I speak and stand up, that is, be strong, verse 11. Fear not, Daniel, verse 12. I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, verse 14. 
noteworthy. Not only does he tell Daniel his purpose and goal, but is commanding these very things of him. And those commands of the Lord Jesus Christ cause Daniel to do what he is called to do. Stand, and Daniel stands. Fear not. And he begins to stop trembling. Notice also that the Lord apparently also sends angels after he departs to deliver the very same message. There's angels that appear, and they come, and they again appear as a man. They appear to him as the Son of Man. They appear and speak to him as the beloved of God. Touch his lips so he can speak. Touch him so he stands. And both of them repeat the exact same message. Fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And the result of all that is the wonderful confession of Daniel, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. And so also this holds true for the frightening revelation about all that spiritual warfare of the evil angels against Christ. Yes, there are very many frightening aspects to such a reality that the Scriptures reveal to us. But the overall message is that this prince could not overcome the Christ. He may delay him, but he cannot overcome him because he is the prince of all the princes. He could not prevent Cyrus from making the decree to let my people come home. And he cannot prevent Christ and his angels from answering the prayer of Daniel. And he cannot prevent this word of God from coming to you this evening. We consider last the abiding significance, the significance of all this, and it's very simple. It is the gospel message from the Son of God Himself that I will never leave you or forsake you because you are greatly beloved. It is the message and the strengthening of that message from our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I will always hear your prayers. I will hear your prayers on behalf of the church. Oh, there may be a delay, but I will always hear, and I will hear by strengthening you. Even though you may be weak and become dumb and frightened, I will strengthen you. We need such strengthening, do we not? We dwell in the midst of a hostile, wicked, sinful world that is influenced and tempted by the prince of this world, that is the devil. Furthermore, our times are even more perilous, for we dwell in the very times or latter days that are talked about in verse 14, that the Lord had promised would come. These things would come to pass. Days even more perilous, for the devil knows Christ has come. He has been cast out of heaven, and so roams the earth. We are visited, are we not, as sinful people by God, who even in Christ is a glorious, holy, righteous, mighty God of vengeance. God visits us every Sabbath day in the preaching and in the sacraments as a sinful people. The message is not only comfort, but a message that reminds us of our sin and our sinfulness, our wickedness, our rebelliousness, our need for a Savior and salvation, for forgiveness and sanctification. Isn't that the message? And do we not 
No. And have we not experienced there are times when it seems like the heavens are brass and God is not able or does not care to respond to our prayers at the very instant we make them. And all sorts of fearful thoughts come into our head. God has forgotten. He has not heard. He's so angry with me because of my sin, he will not respond. We know that from experience. And yet, he visits us in our fears, which visitation may even cause fear, but he always strengthens us. He makes clear that he comes not to destroy us, but comes in his grace. That he comes in his love, even when he speaks very forcefully. That he's never far away, even perhaps if we're unable to come to church. He visits us in prayer. He visits us in our thoughts. He visits us at all times. He's always near. And the message he always brings is that he will hear and he will strengthen. What we need is faith and patience and hope and perseverance, which are the gifts of this Christ. And he strengthens us by the very same words that he speaks here to Daniel and with a healing touch. The message is the same. You are my beloved. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always hear you and come to you. I am more powerful and mighty than any prince in this world. Fear not. Be strong. Stand up, for I am coming for you. I am warring against mighty foes to deliver you. Wait on me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for visiting us here this evening, addressing us as Thy beloved, and bringing unto us the same message that was brought to the great prophet Daniel, who was even given to seeing visions and given understanding that relates to and concerns the very times in which we ourselves live. And we pray that we may be lifted up and strengthened to carry on in our work and labor, in confident hope and trust in Thee, our God, who loves us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.